Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Jay Dylan Proctor, but I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. I actually have two guests with me today, one of which is from Dark Horse Garage. And Tyler, if you'd go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Tyler Darnall. I have a channel on YouTube called The Dark Horse Garage. I'm going to start making some uh, informative videos and also some thought-challenging videos. So if you want to, check me out, T uh, The Dark Horse Garage. And my name again is Tyler Darnall. And again, he had some really good content. Again, it's somewhat centered around household electrical work. Um, nothing that'll get you killed or anything crazy like that, but some good stuff, good, good practical information there. It's wonderful to have Tyler with us. Also, from the same genetic pool as myself, do you know the way, my brother? That's right. I'm Derek Proctor. I'm filling in for Anthony Allegria, the destroyer of cars. Oh my gosh. Yes, this is my brother. And do forgive us, Anthony. Anthony's wonderful. It is always a tragedy when Anthony is not here with us. So we're just poking fun. All right. Today we're going to be talking about mob mentality. This is a really big issue that we have in our world. A lot of times people just, they go and they, they say, we don't want to make long-term decisions based off of rationality and actually critical thinking, but instead we're going to make big decisions based off of emotion. In the gospel account, we actually see Jesus is taken to the cross by a mob rejecting the, the legal intellectual systems in order for an emotional response. The Jewish leaders of the day, they actually had the capacity to deal with Jesus in a court-style setting. However, they do not want to debate Jesus' arguments. They simply want to call upon a mob to deal with him. If we look from the Gospel of John, particularly in chapter 19, verse 6, we see some evidence backing this up. When the chief priest and the officer saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I have found no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Picking up in verse 12, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release him, you are not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So what we see happening here is the mob does not want justice. They want their own emotional arguments appeased. From the evidence provided even within the text and what they are claiming, they have a legal system for dealing with this. It's not quite the modern court system, but it's something similar to that. They have a way of dealing with Jesus if he is, in fact, the problem that they claim that he is. However, they want to call upon a mob to deal with him instead of actually debating him and dealing with him on the arguments. Whenever we see people in the world wanting to call up a mob to get people stirred up emotionally instead of de dealing with people on the debate stage and presenting new ideas, there's a good chance that the things that they're calling a problem aren't actually the problem that they actually are. This is a really big issue. And we always see this sort of mob that comes up to cause so much problem in the world. Wherever it crops up throughout time and space, it always causes a lot of problems. A lot of times we look at the gospel and we think Jesus is led to the cross by either Pontius Pilate or even the chief priest. But as we look at the text, they don't use the, the legal structure within the Jewish community to do this. They, they want to outsource it to Rome. Pilate himself wants to release Jesus, but it is the mob that wants Jesus taken to the cross. Anyways, this is a big problem. People are at reacting to, to situations, and they reject true justice. They just want emotional desires fulfilled. Do you guys see this today? Yeah, I see this today. Uh, actually, it's, it's happening right now. Uh, there's a mob after firearms. Uh, they're out to try to repeal the Second Amendment or in, or just even regulate firearms more. Uh, you know, in 1934, we had one regulation come in that 
regulated uh, machine guns and short barrel firearms, and we had another one in 1968, 94-04, which banned the assault weapons. Uh, just They're always out there trying to push this narrative that, that the firearms are at fault, ignoring any facts that are on the table to, uh, to be discussed. But, uh, you know, they, they do get in this mob, and they just try to stand behind that. Yeah, they, they get in the mob, and they, they hide behind that. And it's interesting, you bringing up all the different things which are implemented over time, but they don't even go back to see what evidence is there as a result of the implementing of these different things. They, they have no desire to do that. There's no checks and balances with it. There's just, we want this policy. We're not even going to check to see if this is effective. Nothing at all. Just Yeah, yeah, it's an argument based totally off emotion. And I think that's one of the major flaws with this mob justice is people aren't held accountable. There's no looking at facts. They just demonize one person, one event, one inanimate item. And there's there's no justice that really gets solved. They condemn somebody in their eyes, and it doesn't have to go through the court appeals anymore because they're already guilty. Yeah, and that's the thing is it can have very serious problems and very serious ramifications for people. But it has such a short threshold, and there's no accountability. Again, especially in the day and age we live in, people, they can they can get online, they can be a part of some sort of social media mob. No accountability at all whatsoever. And it's like they can forget they were even part of it you know, a few weeks from now, even though they may have ruined somebody's life. They may have been part of this. Um, when you're in a mob, you should still be held accountable, but you're not. You can say things, you can make threats, and it's like it never happened. You can't come and prosecute those people. If a mom shows up at your house and calls for your head like they did with Jesus, you know, those people aren't held accountable. But if it's one single individual, then the police have somebody to go and look for. It's like they all blend in together and yeah. no, no real justice ever comes from it. No, that's the thing. is you, It's hard to hold a mob accountable and even understanding the people who are there they're not really exercising their own personal agency again whenever you find people being a part of a mob they may not even be well informed about why they're there i mean generally speaking you can go to a lot of these protests and ask people why you're here they're not necessarily able to articulate why they're there or really bring a lot of evidence to whatever agenda they are pushing they usually basically have some talking points some emotional driven arguments some things which are very loosely connected to reality, if they're connected to reality at all. And it's a very dangerous thing because there's no checks and balances within this. So uh, one thing I would like to point out is that I can't really speak on what happened before social media. I think we're all kind of too young for, for how those mobs formed and, 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 and rationalized and, and made their decisions besides just you know media outlets and everything else. But with social media today and uh, the other technologies at hand, Somebody can just snatch and grab something off the internet and try to push a narrative and then get a mob formed around that yep. and roll with it just to push emotions. And then they might impose something on you or the actually the whole nation that everybody has to live with. But the mob's like, yeah, we're done with this today. We're going to move on to the next subject tomorrow. And then it's just a consistent sliding scale from A to Z. Yeah, and it does move across the scale. It's not ever one issue. It just moves from the next issue and it's a very dangerous thing because even being in the mob is not necessarily a safe place to be because it can change very quickly what the target of the mob is. It can go from being someone outside of them to someone within that mob doesn't live up to their standards. And again, there's no due process. And so everything can turn very quickly 
And even as we look at the gospel, the people who were there laying down palm branches just a few days later, they're very upset at Jesus later. The chief priest, even within the own those chapters there around the verses we read, they interview Jesus, they have a legal system, but they reject that and they, they devolve into a mob very, very quickly. The mob can change so fast. Well, moving along to the second half of our conversation, I don't want us just to criticize the mob without actually coming together with some solutions on how we fix this. I think it's really interesting. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, we actually see a very interesting um, tool given to people to help with this. So John 20, 22 reads this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what we see happening is Jesus gives them the tool of forgiveness as helping to bring culture to a better place. Again, the disciples, the followers of Christ, they are hiding because the mobs are still out there. They, it's not a safe place to be in the world. Your instincts would tell you, don't go to places where people are going to kill you. Don't go out and deal with these people who want to kill you. Jesus says, go out and deal with them, but you're going to forgive them. And again, we're not going to water down forgiveness. Forgiveness is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It stems from the Holy Spirit, which means it is coupled with transformation. When we forgive people, there's an expectation that we help them be transformed into the holiness modeled by Christ. So we really need to be people centered around holiness and modeling that after Christ. Whenever the mob is out to, to kill, we go to them, we deal with them and say, look, we'll forgive you, but you've got to turn away from the chaos that you're a part of. What do you all think about that? This necessary tool of, of dealing with people and pulling them out of chaos. I, I think you got to try to pull them one at a time or within limitations, maybe one, two, three at most, uh, anything really more than that. People can start just forming behind their uh, their uh, uh, mob and, and pushing their agenda without really even thinking and, and, and having to be personally responsible for what's coming out of their mouth. Um but if you can get somebody down in, in a one-to-one -one conversation or a one-to-two conversation, you might be able to sway their mind and, and have them look past their original agenda and, and see where the facts lie and, and start to rationalize uh, and form a, a very, very solid opinion before, um, before they go back to their mob, which maybe they won't go back to the mob. Maybe they'll take some of that information back. One, you know, one person can always take that and... Uh, carry that on. I believe that's how the disciples work, right? Yeah. Yeah. They very much works by word of mouth. It's not by force. It's, it's, we're going to testify and let people have be transformed. Yeah. To build on what Tyler is saying, you're going to win people over, not with one speaker to the masses, but your cause speaking one-on-one -on -one with people, you know, when you talk to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, they have to formulate their side of the argument. And that's where we can sway their opinion when you have your facts and you can say, well, look, man, this just doesn't line up. Yeah. So. And again, there's there's more accountability there because you actually have two people doing a, a bit of a, a dance there of the minds coming together and, and better ideas coming out of that. It's not just an emotional um, driven thing. So we can't water down virtues and... I think Tyler brings up a good idea, this idea of talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. As we look at the gospel, there is always a personally relevant transformation to the people. Jesus doesn't say, well, this is what the masses need, so I'm going to give this one-size-fits-all transformation. He always comes to them and says, this is what you need in your life. You're going to be transformed as an individual towards holiness. This is the areas in your life which need work. You're going to be transformed. 
And out of that, you get a healthier body. Yes, there is a collective body that is the kingdom of God, but it's built off of transformed individuals. And starting with transformed individuals is so important. And you would just be amazed what treating people as individuals and meeting them on that, that level does. Glad to have you here. Uh, we're going to speak on something today uh, that's come up in the, the news recently. Uh, the repeal and replacement of the Second Amendment. And along with that, we were going to get into talking about the other amendments that go along with it and how important they are. Yeah, this really came to us as a question of how does the Bill of Rights relate to children? What really are the parameters that the Bill of Rights works within and, and how does that relate to our society? So let's get right into this conversation. Uh, I want to start off by saying uh, just a little bit of back history. I didn't really ever think about the Bill of Rights a whole lot growing up until I started getting into firearms. And then I started seeing how how much, how important the Bill of Rights were, not just to firearms, but to your freedom of speech, your your speedy trials, your due process, everything that, that goes on in life. They're actually really important to have. So uh, turn it over to Dylan, see if he wants to hit on any notes. Well, yeah, the whole idea is the Bill of Rights are something which are something which allow us as people to say this is is what I as a sovereign individual am am entitled to in life. And it's not really an entitlement in the sense that says somebody has to give me things. It's things that really can't be taken away from you. And that's very different than the idea of something being given to you. These rights are things which you as a sovereign individual you can execute your own behavior thereupon. One of the things I think is interesting about this whole conversation is so many people in this day and age, they're like, well, those laws, they were written in the 18th century. How could an 18th century law be relevant to the world today? I think this is really lazy thinking to make this argument. And it's usually not even a, a intellectually honest argument because they like some things from the, the they may say, well, the, the First Amendment's good. We like that. We want to go out and protest. But then the other amendments, they're not so into. They don't really respect the due process. They always want to have some sort of external justice than something which is unqualified justice. And it's very interesting, um, the argument that it's an 18th century document irrelevant to us today because it's, I think it's a very foolish argument, the, the idea that people in the past can't have a say in where we're at today. Of course, G.K. Chesterton, the, the famous theologian, makes the statement, true democracy is allowing the voices of the past to still have a voice about where we're at in the future and being able to build off of that and build a more constructive future based off what we have learned in the past. And just to throw away everything is just ridiculous to me to think we're just going to throw away rights because of the era they were written. So one, one thing I do want to say, touching on what Dylan said, is the outdatedness of the Second Amendment and that it only play, applied to Muskins and stuff, but how are we using the First Amendment to justify videos? That's not in the Bill of Rights. It doesn't say anything about photography and videos and stuff like that. It's more about freedom of speech, assembly, and uh, religion. Also, uh, 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 I guess that, that involves pen and paper, right? But yeah. it doesn't involve video. So as the technology advances, the Bill of Rights has to, it, it automatically covers it. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be reworded. Yeah, it's amazing how constructive the Bill of Rights are. And even starting with that First Amendment there, the idea of freedom of speech, this isn't just the idea that you can go out and say whatever you want. This is the idea that you, as a sovereign individual, again, that's not just a, a someone who is a, a subject, but someone who is a sovereign citizen, you can think clearly and freely as you see fit. 
And one of the things that bothers me is so many people in our modern day and age, they want to police thought and they do this through policing language. And the whole purpose of the First Amendment was that you could think controversial things. You could say controversial things. Now, that didn't mean you had the right to force that on others, but you were not to police thinking. Really at the heart of, of our being is our ability to think and, and to to inhabit our own personal will. And it's a really interesting thing. Yeah, that, that First Amendment, one more thing on it, it's there to protect, quote, hate speech. I mean, nobody can define what hate speech is, but nobody is willing to uh, bar and regulate love speech. If you said, I love you, nobody's going to get angry over that. But if you say, yeah, I don't like your shoes today, well, in some countries, you could probably go to jail for that. Yeah. You probably could. Uh, they they really do have hate speech laws in other countries, so you have to really oh, watch yeah. what you, you have to you say. You see even what's going on in the, the UK, people being policed again for the things that they're putting online in social media posts. And, and look, some of this stuff is done in bad taste. I'm not going to yeah. act like it's good taste, but people are being um, actually have law enforcement come to their doorstep over. But at the same time, freedom of, of speech is the idea to think and, and just have your own personal free will. And building a bit off what you, you brought up, Tyler, with the idea of, of the Bill of Rights, it's something which it can transfer to where we're at today. It can transfer to social media, to posts and things like that. It just amazes me how people are so inconsistent about how they want these things applied. It's always what I like being applied. And you talk about hate speech. Of course, nobody can define it, but we've lost the language of evil and sin. And of course, I'm a yeah. minister, so I'm going to bring this up. So they're trying to find some way to fill the void in this this fact that there's wrong things in the world. So they've got this new brand of hate, which is incoherent, loosely defined, and basically they can wield that however they want. Like it's a magic wand. They label it as hate. They can expunge it. Uh, but yeah, the Bill of Rights wasn't an entitlement of things that other people would give you, but it was a protection on the things that you can do. So a uh, little, little history on it. Uh, the Federalists at the time said, no, we, we don't need this. We're, we're not going to do anything to you. We, you, don't, you don't need Bill of Rights. It was the Anti-Federalists that came in and said, hey, we need unalienable rights that need to be, that, that are given to us, not by the government, but from a higher power. And you can't take them away. So James Madison actually wrote these up, and the first 12 were passed uh through all the states, they all had to vote on them. And usually the ones that always get hung up on are number one and number two, freedom of speech and your Second Amendment right to, to bear arms, which is very important for self-preservation and to protect against the government. More so used in our society for self-preservation. However, it also kind of keeps the, the checks and balances with the government. You know, some people make the argument, how are you going to protect yourself against the government when they have insert weapon here well at least it's a start i'm not saying we need to take up arms against the government i'm just saying if anything did arise you could potentially protect yourself against from tyrannical government or an invader or or whatever you know you can help a, a citizen out in public there's situations that arise that you need to be prepared for and this is going to get into another topic for another time of personal responsibility well yeah and again from the, the perspective of a minister, we're called to be a people of blessing, which means to give and preserve life. And preserving life sometimes means responding to a threat and, and stopping things from getting worse. Again, it's like when a doctor goes in and uses a scalpel to do surgery on someone. That's not stabbing someone. That's stopping something from getting worse. There's a, a call to preserve life. And there's a really big difference between somebody who is being a protector and someone who is being a, a murderer. 
There's a huge difference between someone initiating something and then someone responding to something, which is why we, we live in such a, a very perplexing time where people call things microaggressions because, again, the idea is that you can justify a physical violence reaction if you label words violence. When we all know there's a big difference between somebody coming over and, and punching you and somebody actually just calling you something you don't like. But as we, we come to the Bill of Rights, I think Tyler's right. They are something which we don't always see being relevant, especially you were talking about being able to preserve yourself against a government. It's hard to imagine that when you've never lived in a world where the, the government is, is coming after you with arms. But even if we look at the, the 20th century and the, what all went on with the, the many wars which went on the 20th century, time and time again, you can keep, see closed examples of places that were armed and places that weren't armed. You can see how Nazi Germany reacted to this. You can see how the Soviet Union reacted to this. People who were able to arm themselves fared so much better. And a lot of times, people would choose not to invade those populations. You can even see Japan making the decision. It's not a good idea to, to go on U.S. soil because of this. This idea that it doesn't really matter, this is a fictitious thing that the government could come after you, that's always a dangerous mentality to think that bad things can't happen to you in life. Yeah, I, I was actually just about to speak on the Japanese subject. I read on that the other day, and I was actually pretty I was pretty happy to hear that. You know, That was a great deterrent from another nation coming in to, to try to overthrow us. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, do you believe that they're taken for granted? I mean, every single one of them, as far as not not even just so much the, se the Second Amendment or First Amendment, but your due process, uh, the unlawful search and seizure yeah. uh, without probable cause, uh, yep. warrantless, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I'm not sure where, uh, warrantless, uh, is, I guess that would be your searches, but... Um, well, yeah, in, anytime you talk about stuff, especially now moving to the area of, of criminal activity when we get involved with the justice system, a lot of times people do take these things for granted until they're in a crisis moment in their life where they're dealing with it firsthand. They don't spend a lot of time preparing for this. Again, this is why we have people who are professional lawyers. Um, not only is the language usually outside the parameters of what most people function as, at, and I don't just mean intelligent people versus unintelligent people, even intelligent people who are unfamiliar with the laws. I mean, you, you, it's, it's specific, sometimes illogical loopholes um, that you have to be able to go through. People do take these things for granted unless they're immediately relevant in their life. And that's why I think so many times people cannot appreciate just how brilliant these things are. And again, I think it's a very lazy and foolish argument to say, oh, it was relevant back then, but that doesn't mean it's relevant now. First off, a lot of these people aren't even familiar with history who make this argument, um, which breaks my heart. I, and my heart really breaks for these people because I wish that people could experience a, a another enlightenment of, of intellectual um, capacity. But... Anyways, so uh, the question, the, the back to the main question, and, and uh, I'm hoping maybe some comments, something some people can help us figure this out. With everything that's going on, we see that the these children are being, I hate to say used, but I feel like they're being used to push this agenda by exercising their rights. But at the same time, there's so many of the rights, or it seems like there's so many of, of the Bill of Rights that don't actually pertain to children. Yeah. So is is their Bill of Rights limited? Do they have freedom of speech, say, in the household and at school, but it's kind of taken into consideration more so than put into play? Um, it, it's a great question, and I, I don't have the answer, but I know as, as a father of two, I'm going to take into consideration what my kids have to say. I may not act on it unless they're 100% accurate in what they say. Now, I'm not trying to take that away from them, but I think it's 
kind of throttled back with parenting. I, I think you have to kind of take in what you want and and roll with it. Um, I just I I really hate to see that we're using children to push the First Amendment to take away the Second Amendment, yeah. which is protecting their First Amendment because yeah. I protect my children with anything I can, but and I want them to be able to say what they want to say. I just want it. It needs to be taken into consideration, not yeah. put One into play. the problems play. with bringing the children into the picture is because they're, they're doing this on purpose to remove checks and balances. You have something where someone can speak without any recourse. And we've seen this, especially in the last recent uh, week, some of the events, some of these kids from the, the Parkland uh, incident down in Florida, they go out and they want to say these things and they don't want any repercussions. Which again, I'm not saying to attack children. But there are people using these children as a, a medium to go out, and it's basically using them as a shield to say, we're going to push this agenda, we're going to brand it with children, that way nobody can question what we're doing. We're going to remove checks and balances from the public discourse. And that's, that's always a bad thing. The less checks and balances you have is always a bad thing. Another thing, back to the question of what rights do children have, I think this is an area where there is moral gray area. You know, Tyler said that he didn't have the answers. I don't have the answers either. I'm not claiming to. But I recognize that it's a place of moral, a gray area. And just because we do not have the answers doesn't mean you throw out all morality or all legality. This is another problem we have in our society where people are like, well, there's gray area, so we throw it all away. There's gray area on, on who can be a good guy, who's a bad guy, so we just throw everything away. We, we just pull all stops and we have absolute control. It's a very illogical thing. I, I really treat the idea of how children have rights similar to the concept of, of baptism. For instance, we understand that, especially I'm a, a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, we, it's all right to baptize babies, but at the same time, we, we do encourage that people as believers, they get baptized. We're not saying that people need multiple baptisms or anything like that, but the short of it is this. There is a time in a, in a person's life where they can be held accountable, where they actually are, are morally responsible as an individual. And that time period before that, God has grace on the child before then. And then once you become somebody of accountability, which it may be different for different people, then you yourself have a bit more agency. When it comes to, to this gray area, we understand that God has grace in the midst of gray area. In terms of legality and morality when it comes to children and rights, we as a society, we have to say, look, there's gray area here. We're going to use our personal judgment on individual cases. And in those cases, we're going to have grace, but we're not going to throw out the, the entire picture. We're not going to say, well, there's gray area here in the Bill of Rights, so throw it all away. Because I think that's a really foolish conclusion to make. Yeah. Yeah. So so one thing that's kind of been pushed, and, and this is where I get back to where we're saying uh, our children limited if they're wanting to push the age of buying a firearm to 21, which there is no age requirement in the Bill of Rights that I could read, and so are we going to move the age to vote to 21? Are we are are people at 18 years old not mentally, uh, I guess, conscious enough to make those kind of decisions? Are we going to yeah. start moving this up? When does it when does it stop? It it could be a sliding scale. Well, when they need to be 45 before you own a gun. Yeah. When they got to be 65. Well, yeah. well, you know what? At what point? Do we say, this is what it says, this is what we're going to go by? You know, there, there, it could be an endless it can. <laughs> slippery slope. With other things like the, the due process, how, how is somebody treated in terms of the juvenile justice system and then it's the adult? We know that cognitive development has many different stages. 
really people's personality and a lot of things are, are in flux till they're about the age 26. People really start to finalize the way that their brain develops. Um, do we want to say that you're not, you're to be treated as a child all the way to 26? Although we know that people around the age 18 to 20, they're at a very different place than somebody who's around the age 14, 15. Just because there's gray area and we can make the excuse that, well, your, your body is still developing till you're in your, your mid-20s. Do we just say, well, we don't give you authority before then? It's one of those places where just because there's gray area don't mean doesn't give you an excuse to take the worst possible conclusion and just drag things past the edge of chaos. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the age thing because I was just about to say in the last few years, it's actually everything started to become clear. It's starting to make sense. And, and actually, I see the importance of a lot of uh, a lot of issues and, and stuff. I, I can't say at 18 that I was fully mature. I was mature enough to take care of myself. Uh, work, go to school, pay bills, and it, I could take care of all that. But I, I don't think I was mature enough to look into all of the aspects of every, I guess, uh, cultural, social influence that could be swaying me to a negative side or a positive side. But now that I've stepped back and I'm a few years older and I've got kids and I can see what's important in their life, what, what needs to be done in my life mm-hmm. to better their life, I really think that this age between 26 and I'm I'm about to be 29, I've really came into my own uh, for for critical thinking. That's I, I, different for everybody. I, I'd like to have thought that I was a critical thinker between 20 and 25, but I don't know if I was. Looking back now, I think I was still a kid. But you know, it's still where does it stop? Who? It, it's different for everybody, yeah. and you could be 40 and not mature. But. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Treating people as individuals and looking at things case to case is does so much wonders for us as people. Again, there are generalizations that are real. That isn't just because there's gray area. You don't mean you throw everything away, but just looking at stuff case by case. So, so how willing are you, are you Dylan, myself, willing to give up these um, these rights that are given to you or that are bestowed upon you for safety? You know, I I think uh, uh, there is a quote from I think Franklin that you know. When you give up your your uh, freedoms for safety, you'll have neither. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth in that. So, you know, think about it. Yeah, and government taking away of liberty is always a one-rate street. I, I can't think of any times outside of the, the death and rebirth of, of a nation slash culture group of people, they tend to die and de- be reborn. It doesn't seem that liberties come back to people. It's a terrible cycle, and it always bothers me when people seem to be completely of a state of mind which ignores history to the point of not realizing that forsaking liberties is, is not a good thing. Um, it's just not. Well, guys, uh, I hope we left y'all with some pretty good uh, questions to be answered. Uh, think about them. Think about them hard and long. I, I, I know I have been ever since this Parkland stuff's happened. Uh, it, I mean, it, it happened at other schools and other places, but this really seems to be the first time that they've actually got a, a mob mentality behind it to force an issue um, that could result in us giving up freedoms uh, for safety, which really we really would have neither. Um, yeah. But think about that. But uh, again, I'm Tyler Darnall from the Dark Horse Garage. And I'm Jaden Proctor from Kingdom of the Logos. And it's been great. Tyler's been here with us in our studio, which not named itself, but people have come to name our studio at Kingdom of the Logos, Cord Purgatory. <laughs> Tyler has paid his penance and come into court purgatory. Um, Actually, I was roped in here into purgatory without due process. Yes. So 
Sparky he infringed upon my Fourth Amendment. <laughs> um, excuse me. Uh, fifth or sixth? I believe it. Fifth. Is it fifth? Um, fifth. Sorry. Um, yes. The whole the whole idea of due process going into court purgatory. Um, yes. Anyways, whole other issue. Anyways, thank you for watching. You can subscribe to our channels on YouTube. Again, the Dark Horse Garage, Kingdom of the Lagos. And on that, please have a blessed day.